Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's go to Psalm 118 this evening, please. And I I realize there's a giant Operation Christmas Child Christmas tree right behind me. But can we see what Psalm 118 says about Thanksgiving? I know some of you already probably got some Christmas decorations put up. It's not too early to talk about Thanksgiving then, I figure. Um, And next week, Pastor Daniel's going to bring the message. And uh, the following Wednesday, we won't have church because we'll... Thanksgiving will be right around the corner. So this is my last pre-Thanksgiving opportunity to give you a Thanksgiving sermon. And Psalm 118 fits the bill. It's the last of the Hallel Psalms. We've been in those for a while, 113 to 118. Those were Hallel, just meaning praise the Lord, right? Hallelujah. Um, those were, these are the songs that were sung by God's people, Israel, during uh, their Passover celebrations. This particular one was also sung during the Feast of Tabernacles. I know some of our ladies in Bible study have been studying the feasts on Tuesday mornings. And um, uh, as far as genre goes, you know, there's different types of psalms. This one's a Thanksgiving psalm, but it also has uh, a lot of messianic content as well, meaning verses that are specifically applicable to Jesus Christ, even though he was a couple centuries yet from coming. Let's read Psalm 118 together. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. Lord, answered me. He set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side, so I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compass me about, yea, they compass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. But they are quenched as a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me, that I might fall, but the Lord help me. The Lord is my strength and song, and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. 
Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. First four verses right there at the beginning of this psalm, we've got a command to praise. Verse 1 begins the psalm with an emphatic command. It's not just to give thanks to the Lord. It's, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. So as God's people, we're commanded here uh, to give him thanks because he's good. God is good. Amen? Amen? He's good. Goodness is just who he is. Uh, I mean, it's the essence of his character, uh, nature, and that goodness is highlighted here in this psalm, uh, specifically in his mercy to us. And it's a mercy that is said repeatedly that it endures forever. Now, if you've got a modern English translation, it may say something like his love endures forever or a steadfast love endures forever. Well, mercy in the King James, that's the English word for the Hebrew word chesed. Uh, anytime you come across mercy in the Psalms, that's usually the word God uses. It's talking about God's covenant, never-ending, always dependable, not sourced in anything on our part, love that he has for us. And so in verses 2 through 4, this particular evidence of God's goodness, his mercy, this reason for giving him thanks, it's repeated three more times through the psalmist inviting others uh, to join in this giving of thanks. And, and to understand these invitations, it's helpful for us to picture uh, the Old Testament cultural context where this song was originally sung. So in your mind right now, try to picture God's people traveling. They're traveling from all over Israel, uh, and they're going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles or, or the Passover celebrations. And as they're traveling there, they're singing songs. And this song here is being sung, the last one. And they near the temple there in Jerusalem. And as they get closer, these invitations are given. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. And the, the priests are there, the house of Aaron. Let them now say, the religious leaders that, that led corporate worship, let them say, his mercy endures forever. And finally, we even get uh, to those Gentiles, those who recognize that the God of Israel is the one true God. Uh, he's worthy of, of praise and thanksgiving. It says, let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. That's quite a choir here, isn't it? It's got everybody. It's a command to praise. And at least one or more of these categories, you and I are recipients of this command. As every one of us here, we've experienced the goodness of God. Every one of us has experienced his never-ending mercy. Uh, and so it's proper for us to say, uh, thank you, Lord, or praise the Lord. But just as it's more meaningful to my wife when my I love yous expand to I love you because, and fill in the blank, it's also more meaningful to the Lord when we praise him and we give him thanks with the reasons that we're in awe of him and that we're thankful to him. And so we get causes for, for praise. The main body of this psalm from verse 5 all the way down to, to verse 24, uh, I hope that makes sense. I hope you understand. There's significance in the specifics. 
Our praise is more meaningful to God when we tell him why we're so thankful to him. And we've got a a litany of causes for you and I to praise the Lord here and to give him thanks in verses 5 to 24. In verse 5, David gives God thanks because I called upon the Lord in my distress and he heard me, he answered me, and he set me in a large place. In, In the Hebrew, the word translated distress literally means I was in a tight space. I was talking with Krista about this. She's like, how are you doing? I sent her pictures of my hotel room up there. I said, honestly, I don't really like it. I think what I have is the opposite of claustrophobia. And if I'm right, it's called agoraphobia. I could never live in North Dakota or Oklahoma or Kansas. It would freak. I don't like being out in the open. I don't like big open spaces. And she's just the opposite. When we go to the mountains, she wants a pretty good-sized cabin. I'm finding a tiny house. She goes crazy in that little thing. Um, I don't know if it's from the military and we were just taught not to be exposed and you need cover and concealment. Or may, I, was a, I was late. I was a month late. They had to pull me out of my mom's womb. I had everything I needed in there. I figured maybe that has something um, to do with it. But that, David was in a tight space and it wasn't comfortable. He, he wasn't good with it. He, he was entrapped. He was cornered. And so he called out to the Lord for deliverance. And what did God do? God answered him, his plea for help. He rescued him out of that situation, and God put him in a large place. Have you ever been in a situation like that? If you, if you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have, and this is actually your experience as well. Uh, you called out to God for deliverance. You told God that you needed the salvation that he offers, that only God can provide for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, you were in a bad place, and you were headed to an eternity in a worse place, and you were plucked out of that state and that destiny, and you were delivered. So just what David says here is a reason to give God thanks in verse 5. It, we could say the same. We have a cause for praise. we got a reason to give God thanks. Now look at verses 6 and 7. Here's another cause for praise. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And we see here kind of an Old Testament version of what God has the Apostle Paul tell us in Romans uh, chapter 8. And maybe you can hear the echo of the Apostle Paul here where he says, If God be for us, who can be against us. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him also give us freely all things? And it's in our human nature to desire to procure allies. Um, I mean, if we're sick, especially seriously, we want the best medical team possible to treat us. If we're in need of uh, legal services, we would want the best lawyer And for those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, this right here, this is our fear-frustrating, our faith-fueling reality. The Lord is on our side. God, Almighty God, the creator of the universe, our sustainer, the one who woke you up this morning, the one that's keeping your heart beating, He's on your side. He's for you. There's no better ally to have. There's no better source of help or, or hope. And when we really grab a hold of that truth right there in verse 6, when it, when it moves from just being, well, that's a very comforting uh, principle in God's word, when it moves to actually becoming a practical reality in our lives, here's what will result. I will not fear. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And if fear is, is something that we're struggling with, I struggle with it at times, I'll tell you why. May I submit that it's either because I've forgotten or I'm ignoring or I'm choosing not to believe that God is being truthful here in verse 6. 
And God tells us in Isaiah 26.3, I will keep in perfect peace everyone whose mind has stayed on me because he trusts in me. And we already talked about Romans 8. If God is for us, no one can be against us. And if we doubt his love for us, because sometimes we do, that's why God tells us in Romans 8, 31, that we only need to look to Calvary for proof of his love and that he's for us and that he's on our side. And God tells us here who he is and why he deserves our praise and our thanksgiving. He's on our side, so we don't need to fear what can man do to me. And verse 7 reminds us he's our helper. We'll look and triumph over our enemies, over those who hate us. And now, as we move to verses 8 and 9, can I give you some trivia? There are 31,174 verses in the Bible. 31,174. And Psalm 118, 8 and 9, they are smack dab in the exact middle of the Bible. Now, it's just trivia. But isn't it kind of cool what God tells us there, right, in the middle of his word? What does he say? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Even in the most mighty men, princes, rulers, it's better to trust in the Lord. That's a message uh, from God's word in Genesis to Revelation right here in the middle. And David learned this both through difficult experiences when he didn't do this and through divine empowerment when he did. There were faith valleys in David's life uh, where just like us, he put his trust in people and he put his trust in places that couldn't deliver. Think about some of them. And there were faith mountaintops where David really had no choice but to lean on God. And he saw that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put his faith and his confidence in anything or anyone else. And that's why God gives us this testimony of the testimonies of David's life experiences in the Old Testament. That's why he gives us this testimony from David here. And we, we would be wise to learn from his example that we would lean on the Lord that we would give God thanks that we can lean on the Lord. In verses 10 to 14 here, they, they describe in general terms the situations and circumstances where David's faith was put to the test. Would he choose to trust in God alone? And repeatedly here, he's like, man, I was surrounded by my enemies. Compassed about. Compassed about, he says. Compassed about. I believe four times in, in these verses. And what's David's chosen response? It's another cause for praise. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. The Lord help me. And I want you to consider that phrase, in the name of the Lord. And please understand, um, this is definitely so much more than David crying out, God, help me. Or maybe he can't even get that out. It's just Jesus. And we know there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There is. Now, when God uses that phrase in his word, anytime you come across to the name of the Lord, it's so much more than just you crying out Jesus. Um, that all of God's character, all of it, all of his conduct, his works, that's what's wrapped up in that concept in scripture of the name of the Lord. And so it's a reminder to us that our God is omnipotent. He's all powerful and he's omniscient. He knows everything. What's ahead for us? He's omnipresent. We can never be separated from him. He's sovereign. He's unchanging. He's dependable. He's loving. He's gracious. And he's merciful. We can go on forever here. And the point is that when David says that my victory, my deliverance came through the name of the Lord, it was David claiming in faith everything that's true about God. 
a God who was on his side. This is David believing. <laughs> David really believing in who God is for him. In verse 14, I love it. It's an echo of Miriam's song. Almost word for word from Exodus 15, 2, after God brought his people through the Red Sea. They're safe on the other side, and, and Miriam and Moses, they burst out in song. And she says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. So that's a cause for praise. That's a reason for you and I to give thanks. I, I like what the early church leader Augustine had to say about that last part of the phrase, he has become my salvation. It's not that God had become anything which he was not before, but that because his people, when they actually believed on him, they became what they were not before. They became saved. They became delivered. And as we read verses 15 and 8 through 18, I want you to remember a few things. First of all, this is a song God's people were singing as they were traveling together to celebrate God's goodness. And secondly, as a Hallel psalm, Jesus would have sang these words with his disciples in that upper room, in that Passover last supper meal right before his death. Let's read verses 15 and 18 again. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live, and I'll declare the works of the Lord. The Lord's chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Why can we have rejoicing and salvation? Because the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly, times two. Because the right hand of the Lord is exalted. Who's at God's right hand? Jesus. Jesus Christ. And who he is and what God's done for us. Jesus is the cause for praise here and our reason for thanksgiving. Can you picture Jesus singing verse 17 the night before his death? I shall not die, but live. And I'll declare the works of the Lord. And because verse 17 is true for him, it's true for every single one of us who has placed our faith in him for salvation. In verse 18, David recognizes that in all the situations described in verses 5 to 13, his enemies, including Satan, they had one intent. But in those very same situations, God had another. The Lord chastened. He disciplined me sore, but he has not given me over to death. And for those who are Christ, this is a good reminder that God's chastening, his discipline of us, it's never punitive. It's never for punishment. It, it, it's designed as purifying. Um, Jesus took all the punishment for our sins. Did he not? On the cross, the ones that we did before we were saved, the ones that maybe you did today and the ones you're going to do tomorrow and two months from now, he took all the punishment. So any chastening, any discipline we receive from the Lord, not punitive, it's, it's purifying, it's with the intent from God to make us more like Christ. We're being disciplined because we're his disciples. And the messianic content's already begun here, but it continues in the rest of this psalm. Again, in verse 21, David gives us a cause for praise, a reason to thank God. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. But I think the most clear reference here to Christ in Psalm 118 is found in verses 22 to 24. Who is the stone that the builders rejected? Jesus quoted this passage of himself. Other New Testament authors did as well. Who's become the headstone of the corner? Jesus. He's rejected by most of those God sent to him at, at his first coming. But in his death, and his victory over death, he has become the stone, the cornerstone upon which all those who receive him as Savior were built up into his bride, into the church of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 23, it reminds us of who planned all of this. <clears throat> this wondrous salvation that's ours in Christ. Who accomplished it? Who provides us to whosoever will trust in Jesus as Savior? It says, this is the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in your eyes? Is what God has done for you in Jesus, is it marvelous in your eyes? I mean, is it a cause for praise? Is it the greatest reason you give thanks? When you have that worst day, nothing's going right. Work was terrible. The family's acting nutty. The car breaks down. Can you still give God thanks? When you know Jesus, you can. And we often isolate verse 24, like we pull it out, kind of like we do with Proverbs, like, oh, every verse is a new thought. Not necessarily incorrectly, because look, yeah, every day is a day that the Lord has made. And every day is a day that we should rejoice and be glad in the day he's given us. Um, but if we leave this verse where God's placed it here in the context of what he's been talking about and what he's going to continue talking about, this is referring to a specific day that the Lord has made and that we're to rejoice in. What is it? I think it's specific days. That the day of Christ's atoning death, that's a day for you and I to rejoice in. That, that Sunday, <laughs> when the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away so that we could look in and see he's not there, he's risen. That's a day to rejoice and be glad in. And in verse 23, we were told that Christ's death and resurrection, that was God's doing. It's something that should be marvelous in our eyes. And now here in verse 24, it's talking about that day when God did what he did for us on that cross and in that empty tomb. So yeah, while every day is a day which the Lord has made, and every day is a day for us to rejoice as Jesus followers. There are some days that are greater than others, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. My mind goes to a coming day too, right? We sing it. Lord, haste the day when my faith will be made sight. The clouds roll back as a scroll. The, the trump will sound. The Lord will descend. That's the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice on that day. Rejoice in anticipation, looking forward to it. The, the commitment to praise. That's what David does here in verses 25 to 29 gives God a command. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you thanks. Now, David's looking forward. It's backward to us, to Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem as he rode in on that colt, on that donkey on Palm Sunday in verses 25 to 27. Uh, I know these phrases would be sung in David's time too as worshipers traveled to the temple, but you can't help but connect the save now. That's Hosanna. That's what they were singing with the palm branches. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. You can't help but connect that with the crowd's cries as Jesus rode into Jerusalem along with verse 26. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they said as they received their king. But their reception was pretty short-lived, wasn't it? Like three or four days later, they had another cry. It was crucify him, crucify him. Um, may that never be true of us in the sense where we find our, our praise waning, our thanksgiving relegated to one month a year, or worse yet, one Thursday as we sit around a dinner table. What's David's commitment to praise in verses 28 and 29? You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, if you've noticed here, in Psalm 118, that word endureth is in italics. And the reason is because it's not in the original Hebrew. The translators supplied it to help us English speakers get the gist of what God was saying there. So uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't belong there. God's mercy does endure forever. That's the whole idea. 
That's what God wants to communicate to us. But let's just remove it and read it like it would be literally in Hebrew. It would say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his mercy forever. And here's the thing I understand when I read it that way. Since his goodness to me is forever, and since his mercy toward me is forever, it's something that's always going to be there. It's something that if we've trusted Jesus as Savior, it's always going to be there for us. Since those things are forever, well, then what should my praise and what should my thanks to him be like? Yeah, it should be forever. If his mercy is forever, if his goodness is forever, then it should be unending, perpetual praise to, to God. It should be an all-year-long, enduring thanksgiving. And that's why God wrote Psalm 118. That's why he gives us this command to praise here. And he invites us to join this choir that's singing praise. And he gives us 20 verse long list of different causes for praise. And I'm sure we could add to them. And he encourages you and I by David's example tonight to make a commitment, even tonight, to praise. Can I get real practical? I, I would guess most of you guys say a blessing before you chow down, right? Might be something simple. I mean, maybe sometimes it's just a grab-and-go situation. You, do, you have a heart, you have an attitude of worship, and maybe you forgot, and then later on you remember. Um, look, pause. We live in a crazy, busy world. We can pause to pray, give thanks. And, and in Jesus' name, amen, that doesn't have to be the end and be like, all right, go get it, dig in. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with you in the middle of the meal saying, let's just stop. And give God thanks. Or maybe even at the end of the meal. Give God thanks for, for what he's provided for us here. This came from him. I mean, what would you be expressing to God and to your family, or to those who are with you if you're out to eat or something, if you commit to do that? And what if one of those prayers for thanksgiving, it was more than just a gratitude for the food that God's provided you, but you prayed, you were reminded, Lord, thank you for the greatest provision that you sent my way Jesus Christ eternal life in him what if you designated Friday night I know it's crazy right you got football and everything else but what if you designated this like family Friday or something and you pause to give thanks for somebody there in your prayer telling God about some family member a church family member that you're thankful for I mean Christian will you obey this command it's supposed to be perpetual praise. It's supposed to be enduring thanksgiving. Will you answer this invitation God gives us here to, to give him thanks? Will you praise? Will, you, will your praise and thanks to him be significant because it's significant? It's not just praise the Lord. It's praise the Lord for, I'm thankful for, will you make a commitment to praise and thank him forever for his goodness and mercy that are forever? We can do that by, by singing. I don't have Tommy and the praise team come up now. I mean, when we